counsel the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the heart of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's continue by turning into the New Testament to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. And we read this. Paul is writing to the Philippians and he says, Have this mind among you, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And when you read this passage, you begin to think to yourself, it says that, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And you're saying to yourself, I don't know that many people that bow their knees to the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I don't know that many people who are even interested in the Lord Jesus Christ, much less ready to bow their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then let's say we take a group of Christians and we're sitting around the table with a group of Christians, and this question is asked. We say, what do you mean that Jesus Christ is Lord? And someone might pipe up and say, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That's why I say he is Lord. The Messiah was promised in the Old Testament. There are many prophecies in the Old Testament that predict that the Messiah is going to come and what he's going to be like and what he's going to do. 
And I believe when I say that he is the Lord, he is going to deliver Israel from their enemies. And now, as a Christian, he is going to be our Savior, who has been chosen by God to bring salvation to mankind. And then you turn and somebody else says, I think Jesus as Lord means that Jesus is truly God. And he is not just a God, but he is our God. He is our Lord and should be worshipped as Lord. And then someone else might pipe up and say, Jesus Christ is Lord even when he lived on earth as a human being. And this is a remarkable mystery. A wonderful mystery when we think about it. And Christmas is coming soon. And I was in a store looking at all this Christmas stuff. Jesus wasn't even anywhere in all that Christmas stuff. The only stuff I saw were ornaments and blow-up things and nothing to do with Jesus. But when Jesus was here, there was nobody like Jesus. And these are all good answers. And you could have a fruitful conversation by posing that question around the table with a group of Christians. And today we want to refine some of these answers to show that Jesus is truly God. And that Jesus who lived on this earth was God. And he is our Lord. And we'll do this by looking at seven passages and we'll take a little survey, and then we'll come to some conclusions based on the word of God. The first passage is from John chapter 1. And we read in the first verse of John chapter 1, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And you say, what is John talking about here? And we could look at the original languages. But what John is trying to do is saying, in the beginning was Jesus. And so as we read through this particular passage, John's whole book is about Jesus. And so instead of reading the word, the word, if we said, read it this way, in the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. Jesus was in the beginning with God. And John uses some very nice language to teach us that Jesus is God. And then he, if we drop down to verse 14, we would read, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. John is talking about people who were his contemporaries who had actually seen Jesus in person. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And dropping down to verse 18, no one has ever seen God. And then John says, the only God who is at the Father's side, he's beginning to talk about Jesus. He has made him known. And so sometimes if you are going to do a Bible study with someone who is not a Christian, this particular chapter in John is a very good place to start. 
and to begin teaching because John very clearly shows that Jesus is God. And then John had another wonderful passage, passage number two, John 3, 16. We read in John 3, 16, and maybe some of you could recite it with me, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And continuing, but God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus here is described as the Son of God. And John is introducing Jesus as the Son of God. And when we think of somebody being a son, we think of somebody having a father, and the father was before the son, But when we read here the Son of God, we mean that he came from God. He is of God. And so in order to describe him appropriately, we use Son of God. And sometime when we have time, we will show you where that expression came from in the scriptures. And so here we see Jesus as God, as coming from God. John 10.30 is a very clear statement. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. There's no mistaking what Jesus meant here. Jesus says, I am God. As the Son of God, which Jesus Jesus is, is God. We go to Ephesians chapter 2 for our fourth verse. We see, we read this in verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And dropping down to verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you to, her, to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, that is Jesus, we both have access. And when he says we both, those who are, that were near, those who were far, have access in one spirit to the Father. And the point of this particular passage is this is one of those passages where Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Father are all mentioned at the same time and linked together as one. And so we will make a point about this in a few minutes. Going back to John chapter 20, verse 28. Jesus had died and he was resurrected and Jesus appeared to his disciples and Thomas wasn't with them. 
And when the disciples told Thomas that Jesus had appeared to them, Thomas was skeptical, wasn't he? Doubting Thomas, we like to call him. And then Jesus appeared to Thomas and the disciples. And Jesus looked right at Thomas and said, Look, here, here's the scars on my arm. Look, and he pulled up his robe, apparently, and said, Here is the wound in my side. And Thomas had a statement that is something that we should say. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Thomas realized that Jesus was God. Continuing to passage number 6, Matthew 28, verse 19 this is at the end of the book of Matthew. Jesus has been resurrected. He met his disciples. They're walking along. Jesus stops and he instructs them. And this is one of the things that Jesus said. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Here, Jesus is very clearly naming the three persons of the Godhead. And so we're beginning to get a picture of who God is and what God is like. And then we go to the last passage that we will look at for now. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. Paul is giving a final blessing to his last letter to the Corinthians that we have, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And that's how Paul ends this particular epistle. He gives a blessing using the names of the three persons of the Godhead. And so after reviewing these passages, and we did a quick overview, and we could have looked at a number of other passages, we are going to put on our theologian hat. All of us are theologians. Even the youngest of you are theologians. Because theology is a study of God. And everyone here has a concept of God. Whether you believe in God or not, that's a theology, isn't it? And as a theologian, we study the word of God. As a theologian, you study how to worship God. You think about what God is like. And you figure out what is it that God wants us to do and what, how he wants us to act. And there are many different topics that a theologian could look at. And so we as theologians, are going to take these seven passages and put them together. And what a theologian likes to do is look at similar passages from various places in the Bible and bring them together and then be able to make a statement about what we believe. And some of the statements that we're going to make today were statements that were developed very, very early in church history. And so 
when we make these statements, we are what we would be calling systematizing our theology. We are bringing together passages of scripture in a way and organizing them so that they tell us something about God. You've heard of books, right? Systematic theology, and sometimes you steer away from them. They're too complicated for me. But a systematic theology is just taking the word of God and bringing the concepts together in one place so that you don't have to read all seven of these passages and say, now what does that all mean? We are going to take those seven passages and come up with some concepts. And the first concept or statement that we will have is that Jesus Christ is part of the Godhead. God, we have seen, is described three ways. He's described as the Father. He's described as the Son, who we also know is Jesus Christ. And he's described as the Holy Spirit. Three of the passages that we read mention the three of them together. And if we looked in the Bible, we will find that two of them are often mentioned together. And sometimes the Father and the Son Sometimes the Father and the Holy Ghost, sometimes the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so what we can say is that Jesus Christ is part of the Godhead. And so secondly, we can say that Jesus Christ is of the same substance, which is a word I don't like so much, or essence, which I like better, or nature with God the Father and with the Holy Spirit. And why don't I like substance? Because substance means that there's something material, and we know that God is immaterial. God is a spirit. So essence might be the best word to describe God. God is made of something that we call essence. I don't understand what it is. But I do understand, possibly, what a spirit is. And so, when we talk about our Lord Jesus Christ, he is of the same essence as the Father and the Holy Spirit. And so, what does this mean for us? It means that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit cannot be separated. I cannot take a knife and separate off God the Father from the rest of God. It is impossible to separate them. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're inseparable. There's no way I can push them, pull them apart. And they can be thought of as different aspects of identical substance or identical essence or the nature of God. Thirdly, Jesus Christ is co-equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And sometimes Christians will say God is one essence 
in three persons. Or God is one being who is a deity, means that he's a God, and under this deity are the persons of the Godhead. Very hard concept for us to understand. And what I'm talking about is the Trinity. And we could spend a whole whole sermon talking about the Trinity and why we think there is a Trinity. And we're going to assume that the Godhead is made up of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And each person of this Godhead has all the attributes of God. Jesus is holy. God the Father is holy. The Holy Spirit, obviously, is holy. No one of them is more holy or less holy than the others. And we can say this for each attribute of God. Each attribute. God is infinite. God is loving. No one is more or less loving than the other. God the Father is just as loving as God the Son. And just as loving as God the Holy Spirit. Each one of them is love. And we can say this for all the attributes. They're all all-powerful. They're all all-knowing. They're all omnipotent. They're all merciful. They all never change. And I could list a half a dozen others. And so Jesus is co-equal. He is the same as the Father and the Holy Spirit in all of his attributes. Fourthly, Jesus Christ is co-eternal with the Father and God the Holy Spirit. There has never been a time when there was only God the Father. And then Jesus Christ came. Or only God the Father. And then the Holy Spirit came. We have a problem with this. We can't hardly imagine that something like God, or some person like God, never had a beginning. God is God. God was God at the beginning of this earth. God is God today. God will be the same God when this earth is ended and when our life is ended. In fact, we say God doesn't age. God doesn't get older. God is. God always is. It's not good English, but we have to use that terminology with God. God always is. And fifthly, Let's think about a negative because this is important. Jesus Christ, as some think, is not a creation of God. And Jesus Christ is not subordinate to God the Father. And how you view Jesus Christ is what makes you a Christian. 
the cults, as we call them, have corrupted how Jesus is known. And let me just mention uh, Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons. Jehovah Witnesses do not believe Jesus is God. They believe that Jesus is Michael, an archangel, a very good person, but not God. Mormons believe Jesus is a God. He is separated from God the Father. He's a different God. And they believe that there are many gods. In fact, if you follow the Mormon faith perfectly, you might become a god yourself. That's what the Mormons believe. Satan is working to undermine our understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And Satan wants to diminish who Jesus Christ is. So Satan has found Jehovah Witnesses who only believe in God the Father. In fact, they won't even call him that. He's just Jehovah and diminished Jesus. The Mormons have diluted Jesus. They say, okay, Jesus, what's here? Yes, but you could be a God too, just like Jesus. They've reduced who Jesus is. And so now that we have these five statements about Jesus Christ, what do these things mean to us? So what, you might say? And here's, here's what we want to point out. When we worship God, we are worshiping the one true God. And Pastor Harrison spoke this morning about prayer. And often when we, come, we say we come to the Father through the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit, we are talking about the persons of God. And often when we pray, we pray like this, and I do this. Our Heavenly Father, I address my prayer to God. I could say, dear God, or God, and call him out. But I usually say, our Heavenly Father. And then I usually close a prayer like this, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. We could close a prayer differently. We could close it like Paul had done in 2 Corinthians, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. But we do invoke, when we invoke God in our prayers, we are praying to God and we may address specifically the person of God Yes, God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit. And all three of these persons that are part of the Godhead are worthy of our worship. They're worthy of our trust. They're worthy of our be obedience. And when we worship God, we are not just worshiping God the Father, but we are worshiping God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we are worshiping God, the Trinity, the one 
true God. Secondly, Jesus Christ is the source of our salvation. When we read in John 1, 1, where it says, in the beginning was the word, John's goal in writing his gospel was to point to Jesus as the object and the source of our salvation. Jesus is the only way of salvation. You might believe in God. You might believe in the Trinity. You may believe that Jesus Christ is part of the Godhead. You might have all the right doctrines. You might believe everything that I just said. But the question is, do you believe that when Jesus Christ lived on this earth and when he died on the cross and was resurrected from the dead, that that was your way of salvation so that the sins in your life were covered by his blood and you have been made acceptable before God the Father or God before God so that you can spend eternity in heaven. You need to believe more than just Jesus is God. Do you believe that Jesus is the only way? There's no other way. A Jehovah's Witness has to go out and witness. And I've had it before where I've been painting and a Jehovah's Witness came to my house and they tried to talk to me as I am really involved in painting uh, my house talked to me and said, can I just leave this pamphlet here for you to look at? And I'm saying, yes, if it'll make you go away, yes, leave it there. They gained points in order in their religion so that they could go to heaven because they came and talked to me and they left me a pamphlet which added a few more points to the whole thing. Of course, as soon as I got off my ladder, I threw the piece of paper away. But they gained some points. Those are the kinds of things that people think they need to do. And so, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? And you believe that, thirdly, that Christians have all that they need in Jesus. As Christians, there is nothing better than Jesus. There's nothing deeper than having Jesus. Nothing more spiritual than having Jesus. And we can know, we can love, we can serve Jesus because Jesus Christ is truly God. And Jesus Christ is my God. He can be your God. He probably is your God. And because he is my God, I am his. He has taken me to be under his wing. And that's what we believe. And there's nothing more that we need. And we need to discount anybody who teaches something otherwise or tries to put a wedge between us 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ Lord? Is he Lord in your life? That's the question. Do you love Jesus? Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? And let's close with hymn number 124.